I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling news, and the home of the Beta Rank College Advanced Football Statistical Model. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and we are headed into bowl season. And after falling off the face of the earth, Mr. Max Meyer is here. And I, I know, I know, you all tuned out right after we said Max wasn't on the last podcast. But for those that that kept on writing, we appreciate it. And uh, Max, welcome back, man. How are you? Yeah, don't worry. There will not be a flat spot from me after my bye week. There you go. There you go. Back and better than ever. And we are also joined by Mr. Rob Aaron, the CEO, president, guru behind the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. What's going on, Rob? Uh, not much. It was a, I mean, it's a light weekend, but uh, the, the model had Navy uh, on the uh, over on that game. So the model is 100% this week. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm calling it quits after that. It's never going to get any better. Go out on top, man, for real. Uh, Thank you again for joining us. Um, a couple of things to announce. The first is if you didn't tune in last week, Rob and I went through basically all of the coaching changes in the Pac-12 up to yesterday, um, which would be Sunday. So definitely take it back. Uh, take a listen to that. Uh, we just went through all the, the impact it'll have on the teams and all that stuff. I thought it was a good show. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can subscribe to the podcast for free on any podcast catcher you have out there. Apple Tunes, Apple Tunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, you name it, Spotify, we're out there. Um, and then and don't forget, we are hosting our bowl pool where we're going to pick against the spread every single bowl. And I'll make sure to update that on our Twitter feed and throughout the podcast. All you need to do to enter to uh, win a possible Vivid Seats gift certificate is to uh, write a nice five-star review. So uh, shout out to Angry Andy, who who wrote a five-star review. So you are in. And uh, another gentleman, and it was a great name. I got to bring it up here real fast because it was it was short and sweet and five stars and to the point. And it was a great name. The, the title just said, smile, bitch. I'm living my best life. Five stars. Good job, guys. From a guy named Dedito Calderon. So Dedito, if you want to join the party, you are welcome to uh, just shoot me your info either on Twitter, which you can follow us at 12 Pack Radio, or you can email it to 12 Pack Radio at gmail.com and I will get you the paperwork to join. And like Rob mentioned, kind of a quiet week, uh, but we have a couple bits of news. And since we didn't have Max on the podcast last week, Max, you are, we, we should talk about where we are right now. You are 50 and 31 against the spread. That's 61% picking against the spread in Pac-12 games. How do you feel? Uh, well, honestly, I'm pretty thrilled with how the season went. Um, I just feel like that I'm getting a better grasp on the Pac-12 uh, year after year, just, you know, focusing pretty much, well, I shouldn't say solely on this conference, but definitely first and foremost. Uh, this was a fun year, but I would say I think the team that I nailed the most often was Oregon State, but the team that I didn't really get a grasp on, 
I feel like I missed a lot of Stanford games this year. A lot of Stanford games. Mm. There's always that one team or sometimes two that just nip you over and over again. It's for me, it's usually Arizona just as a fan of the team. Uh, for whatever reason, I just never, I think emotions get in the way. I try not to gamble on Arizona games. Um, I ended up so far 45 and 36, which is 55% against the spread. So doing pretty well. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to catch you because there's only a certain amount of bowl games. And uh, basically, I'm going to have to clean up and you're going to have to go 0 and 6 <laughs> for me to catch up. But still, a good a good year for both of us and uh and that continues from last year too so it's really nice to be able to cover the conference have some numbers on it and then talk gambling and uh and max you do a really good job of of identifying the different spots and bye weeks and all that stuff that can fly by and isn't picked up sometimes by the numbers so uh kudos to you and i wanted to hear what you thought about the pac-12 championship game uh i I guess the thing that i was most surprised about was oregon winning the trenches against utah i I thought that Especially, I thought Utah's def- defensive line was the strongest unit in that game, but Oregon's offensive line shut them right up. And and with you know, I mean, Oregon Oregon's offensive line really got a lot of praise before the season. And there were some games where I, I just felt that the offense stalled, and maybe I blamed the offensive line too much in that. But I, I was just really impressed with like Sewell, Throckmorton. Uh, Hanson, just like all those guys, just a really, really impressive group. And then I just think um, early on in the game when Herbert kept like a couple like uh, read options and then there was like that element added and then Utah basically had to be aware of like that Herbert running was a possibility. And I think that that really freed things up for Oregon's uh, offense overall. And with and Utah, I, I mean, like when I was last on the pod, I said that Utah was a really slow starting team, and that's why my only bet on the game was uh, Oregon plus three and a half first half. I wish I would have listened to myself and, and said Oregon first half money line, but I'll, I'll take the three and a half. And sure enough, Utah started off slow, and they got into a hole, and. I mean, they they missed a couple fourth down conversions. And I, I still can't believe Kyle Whittingham punted on that fourth and four in Oregon <laughs> yeah. territory in the game. That was that was wild to me. And I think it might I think it might have been just because of that they didn't convert on those fourth and shorts earlier in the game. But that was still a wild decision to me. Uh, but yeah, better team won. And I mean, I guess the the price was inflated um, a little bit just because Utah was rolling, and but it, it came against the Pac-12 bottom feeders the past three weeks. It was UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado, and the last time they played a good team was the Washington game up in Seattle, where Utah had to come back, and and that was a game where I wasn't even sure if they were the best, the better team in that one, but. I mean, I still think Utah is a really good team. I just think that Oregon snuck up on them, I guess, which kind of feels weird to say in a Pac-12 championship game. But I just think that a lot of people underrated this Oregon team. And I know I did um, for certain games, but they have a really nice roster. And Mario Cristobal did overall. I, th- I think he did a good job with this group. Yeah, totally understand where you're coming from, Max. And I think both of us ended up taking Oregon and the points, but I 
on my end thought that Utah was going to win that game, but uh, just a really impressive performance. And we have talked about uh, Oregon and Utah at length in our previous podcast, but you mentioned a good point where you were talking about how Utah was playing Washington and it seemed like they were pretty close. We'll talk about the Vegas Bowl coming up and how Washington's in an interesting spot here at seven and five, but really a quality team. One of the things we should do, we were going to preview the Vegas Bowl now, but we're going to make sure to do that in just a second. But I want to talk about some of the news that broke. ASU has a new coordinator. There's a couple of players that have uh, declared for the draft early that will have an impact on their teams. But before I do, I should mention we are live from the Vivid Seat Studio, clothing optional. And if you haven't downloaded the Vivid Seats app yet, what are you waiting for? It is bowl season. There's college basketballs going on, the NBA, any tickets that you need, music, concert, sports. If you haven't tried Vivid Seats yet, uh, check them out. They're going to offer you up to $100 off of your first ticket purchase. So if you're shopping around, make sure that they're included in that because uh, that's how I ended up saving tickets when I bought my tickets to Arizona and Washington. And you can get that discount by uh, downloading the Vivid Seats app and using the promo code OVERTIME for first-time purchases, you will get up to $100 off of your ticket purchase. And they also have a rewards program, which is excellent. So definitely check that out. But Rob, some interesting news coming out of ASU. We obviously knew that they were looking for an offensive coordinator. And yet again, somebody goes up to the beautiful city of Boise and plucks off somebody from that leadership. I just feel like the default for the Pac-12 is um, if you have an open coordinator job, or even maybe an open head co- coaching job. It, it you can never go wrong. You will get you will win the press conference if you go hire that someone from Boise State. <laughs> well, you can get it wrong, but yeah, you'll win that press conference. You can go that's wrong. for sure. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, actually, like you can't go wrong at least as far as like the initial hire and the reaction to the hire will go. If you just go hire somebody from Boise State, um, I don't know. I mean, there's like I I, I would say I certainly think Andy Avalos were panned out uh, better than expected this season um, coaching Oregon's defense. Um, the last before that though, the last hire that was made from Boise state was Marcel Yates at Arizona. And that did not work out well at all. Um, I don't know. Boise state had a, had a, had a decent offense this season. They graded out at number 44 in beta rank. They were number 12 out of all group of five offenses, but it wasn't anything particularly special. Uh, that said, uh, I think almost anyone would be an improvement over Likens. Um, we had a pretty bad offense this season, so, um, he should be an improvement. I am interested to see though, if, if it's really enough, um, to get them over the hump, because I, I know a lot of people really like Danny Gonzalez and we've been high on him in the past, but I, it feels like yeah, they should have taken a bigger step forward than they did this season. So. Something to keep an eye on, I think, with because uh, the ASU does return a decent amount with Daniels and on the offensive line. I'm curious to see if he deviates from Herm Edwards' system too. I mean, it's kind of similar Ooh. to Oregon, where you, you know, is was Avalos the guy or was it Cristobal that was dictating the general? You know, like you can change things up here and that here and there, but overall, here is what our identity is. Here's what we're going to focus on. Um, I don't know, Max, does this move the needle for you with ASU? Well, I think that it's better than Hugh Jackson, to be honest. <laughs> just like going with someone who, honestly, with with Boise State, I mean, they started the season off with a true freshman quarterback in Hank Bachmeyer. And, I mean, I guess the highlight of their season was probably the Florida State comeback. But Bachmeyer's been injured. They've, they've had to shuffle around quarterbacks. I think that Boise's done a respectable job this year on offense, given – the quarterback injuries and I just feel like feel 
I mean, I guess with USC, it might, it might feel seamless, but with other programs, it might not be to juggle quarterbacks. Um, but no, I, I mean, I, I like the hire. Do I think it's a home run hire? Uh, probably not, but I, I think it's a solid one to say the least. Other news throughout the conference about, I'm looking right here, it says 67 players have left the Stanford football program, Rob, to the transfer portal. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, the 12th one, I and mean, some of these guys are starters, and I think some of the initial names that were coming off were guys that sort of people said, ah, well, these are guys that Stanford was unable to get into graduate programs at Stanford. So they had completed their four-year education, and they needed to get into a grad program to be able to stay in school there at Stanford, and they were unable to do so. But it's hit. It's well past that at this point, um, you know, with the 12 transfers out. It really makes you wonder what is, I mean, is uh, there are rumors, of course, that there's always rumors with Shaw that he might go coach in the pros. You know, a lot of professional teams have, have been interested in him. Um, the other alternative scenario might be that they're, you know, Shaw is actually looking to clean house um, on his, on his, uh, on his staff after this year. So uh, he might not announce that until, as most as most coaches do when they like they they have to do it like they may they may not announce those till after signing day but um, it I would definitely look for Stanford to probably make some personnel moves as, uh, on their coaching staff after signing day the old bait and switch Max uh, yeah. <laughs> and making the announcements after all the recruits are in I don't know do you think that he's gonna shift things up because that that is a lot of players yeah and I, I kind of had stayed quiet on that in the beginning because I'm like ah you know when it's grad transfers and a couple people leave but I think it was Jovan Swan is has left one of their starting offensive linemen is is now in the portal too so yeah you're right this is starting to get a little bit more intense for the program yeah no i I think it's definitely a concern um just with the way that's how stanford has fared this season and just like the the downward trajectory that really started i I think last season there were like there were clear signs and luckily they got an incredible performance from kj costello to help save that season and this year, I mean, even with I thought Davis Mills was actually fine for most of the season, but the defense and the defense was awful. And even with even when Mills was good, like the offense was just really inconsistent because the offensive line had issues. The uh, at tailback like Cam Scarlett is OK, but he's not really a game breaker. Um, and there are just a lot of holes on that team. So seeing guys who you would have that Stanford usually like develops um, within a year or two leave the program, I definitely think is an issue. And also if Shaw is too stubborn to not make any coaching changes, that's another big red flag with the program. If, if he stays on, <laughs> I feel like it's going to be one or the other. He's either going to keep his staff or just like wipe the floor with everybody. And it'll be interesting to see uh, which side that he's on uh, maybe a in between, but it doesn't seem like that would be the case. Um, on some other news, I'm going to name three players. There's a couple uh, big Pac-12 names that have decided to declare to uh, to the NFL draft, and some of them will not be playing in their bowl game. I'm going to read three to you guys, and then the next three, and just want to get some quick thoughts on your end. The first is Katie Nixon, wide receiver out of Colorado, Jalen Johnson, the excellent defensive back at Utah, and Hunter Bryant. Uh, Max, what do you think? So I, – I- you said for bowl season, but Colorado is not playing in a bowl. Oh yeah, 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 that's a fact. Um, but wait, for, wait, you got to rub it in, though. You know, we got a lot of Colorado <laughs> fans here. <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, I think the Jalen Johnson one for me is really interesting just because Julian Blackman is injured and he was basically viewed as, as the quarterback of the secondary. And now you lose your top cover corner and Texas had a lot of problems this year receiver, not one of them, uh, with Duvernay and Colin Johnson. Uh, that's going to definitely be a tough matchup for a Utah secondary. That's now down to it's, it's top two players and Hunter Bryant. I, I actually looked it up before and I was surprised to see he played all 12 games. He was healthy, but he is Washington's biggest difference maker on offense just because he's a big matchup nightmare with his size and skill. And I think Eason not having that type of weapon uh, in this bowl game will, will, will hurt. Yeah, I, I hear you. And we're definitely going to dive into that because Washington has another major player that is not going to play in that bowl. Uh, Rob, any any initial thoughts on those three names? Katie Nixon on my end stands out because he was he was good, but I didn't think he was NFL good. I feel like it's the uh, who's the uh, who's the guy that got drafted by the Broncos that was uh, Juwan Winfrey, right? Like call like they, they you never know. I mean, these guys did not light it up, um, you know, for, for, like, I thought Nixon was good and I thought he was even better this year, but they, they may do better in, you know, the pajama Olympics, um, of the NFL combine, um, or in their workouts and end up, end up getting, uh, getting somebody to take a flyer on them. I don't, I mean, I don't know that if, if, if I was, if I was a wide receiver and I had any shot of going into the NFL and Montez was graduating and I had to come back and play in that Colorado offense, I'd probably go. Yeah, that's funny. For a moment, I thought you were calling the NFL Pajama Olympics. I'm like, Rob, they, they hit they hit pretty hard there. <laughs> but you're talking about oh, the no, no, no. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah. <laughs> the NFL has has very, has all the all the good players. <laughs> um, another three names here is Isaiah Hodgins, who uh, just lit it up at Oregon State, and I'm really glad to see him make the jump. Lavisca Chenault, who is obviously somebody to to keep in mind, and then JJ Taylor and Eno Benjamin both deciding that they are going to go into the NFL draft as well. Uh, Max, what stands out for you with those guys? Um, well, I guess like not having Ben, well, not having Arizona state, not having Benjamin or Brandon Ayuk uh, against Florida state. Like that's it. Benjamin definitely was not nearly as effective as he was last season, but I, he's still the, the rock that I, Arizona state really liked to rely on, on offense. And Ayuk, I mean, he just totally, broke out onto the scene this season and he was a game changer, not just as a wide receiver, but as a returner and special teams as, as we've harped on this podcast, it's a, it's a, it definitely plays a, a big impact in these games. And so I definitely think that you have to drop ASU special teams uh, down a notch or two for this one, just because he's not playing in this. What do you think, Rob? Yeah. I mean, that's really tough for ASU going into that bowl game because Florida State, for all their problems, they still have a lot of talent on the team. Um, so we'll, we'll, I, I definitely keep an eye on that. They, 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 ASU struggled to run the football season mostly because of the offensive line. So Benjamin, in some ways, is like a security blanket. And if you can get him going in a game like they say could against Arizona in the second half, like you take it. Um, but not having a Uke, who's a real game, I mean, the real game changer among, you know, they have some pretty solid wide receivers with Darby and Williams, but not having a Uke's really going to hurt because um, that offense hasn't been great uh, this season. And then, I mean, like J.J. Taylor, like, man, like, why? St- I mean, you've got nothing to prove, you know, if you're coming back to Arizona, you know, you might as well go pro. Like, I, I thought that made perfect sense for him to go. 
let's jump into our preview of the Vegas Bowl. We have Washington uh, playing Boise State, which is just amazing. But before we do, we should mention that the today's episode is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, the brand new streaming sports network, live 24-7. It costs you nothing, which is awesome. So uh, all sports coverage, it's always on, always free, and you don't need to sign up for it. You actually just download the app and you get access to a lot of CBS content. I love their college basketball podcast. It's really good, um, particularly if they're talking about the FBI, which I always like to join in, you know, especially as Arizona fans, as people that are watching what's going on at USC. Um, Gary Parrish and Mount Norlander have done a really good job there. Um, so it's always focused on the game, tons of highlights, breaking news as it happens, fantasy advice, and actually something that we are quite attuned to here, it's gambling advice. They have a lot of guys that come up and talk about that. And don't forget, you can get access to all this for free, not for a week, not for a month. You just download the app, sign up, and you get it for free. And no fake debates, just real sports for sports fans at the great price of free. So don't need to log in, don't need to sign in, download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. And uh, and I'm sure they're going to be talking about this Vegas Bowl here, Rob. And Well, let, let's go with you first here, Max. Your initial thoughts on the bowl itself. The two big things to mention right off the bat is Hunter Bryant, their, uh, their tight end that we had mentioned, is not playing in this bowl game. Neither is Trey Adams, who is their rock uh, and the anchor there on that offensive line. Yeah, I mean, obviously the big storyline is that this is Chris Peterson's final game and he's doing it against his former team. And I think in terms of a betting perspective i think you're going to get a little bit of an inflated price on washington just because people are going to think oh it's it's peterson's final game he's going to want to go out with a bang which is honestly exactly what happened last year uh in the rose bowl with urban meyer's final game uh against washington where ohio state even though they were really inconsistent last year you still had to pay a pretty penny uh, to back the Buckeyes just because people were thinking that Urban Meyer was his last game. He was definitely going to win and probably going to blow out a weak Pac-12 team. And sure enough, Washington pulled off a, an amazing backdoor cover. Um, this game, though, I it's it's tough because, I mean, the line has moved in favor of Washington. And I still – I think the Huskies, they're really inconsistent. But I also think that they're slightly underrated. I, I think that they're better than their 7-5 and five record. Just because if you look at their losses, I mean, three of them uh, came at home where they blew double digit leads. And that, that unless I'm and it was kind of like the same deal with uh, USC last year where it, it's something that you can't expect that game after game. And yet, for some reason, it just kept on happening. And then the other two games, it was the bizarre road losses in Palo Alto and in Boulder. So you don't really know what Washington you're going to get from game to game, which makes this uh, Las Vegas Bowl so difficult to cap. But I just think that this is the most talented team that Boise's played this year, uh, even more so than Florida State. And and it's going to be the toughest offensive line, even without Trey Adams. So Boise might have a little trouble getting pressure. It'll be the toughest defense they face. It's it's definitely it's going to be a challenge for Boise. So I'm doing the write up for this on sharpcollegefootball.com and use a lot of Rob's numbers. So Rob, th- there's some really interesting discrepancies here. Whether it is 
the uh, efficiency of Washington's offense from a drive uh, perspective, not necessarily from a play perspective. Like, in fact, those numbers are vastly different. Um, but one of the yeah. things that st- stood out for me was the fact that Boise State was really bad at drive efficiency on the defensive front. Like, they're, <clears throat> they're 100 in the country. But you, you have a much better understanding of the numbers here. What do we have in this, uh, this matchup? So Bayrank likes the Huskies. I mean, it's it's got them as a seven-point favorite, seven-point two two and a 76 percent win probability in this game i mean washington comes in at number 23 in beta rank um you know boise state comes in at 44 uh the the matchup for yeah the huskies offense it's it's they come in at 62 uh boise state's at 52 but as you pointed out i mean washington they're they're not explosive and they do not put up even a like either they don't put up a bunch of explosive drives. They also don't put up. They're not good at generating just a solid yards per play number. Um, but they do when they score. They they tend to be able to put together longer drives. And Hunter Bryant's kind of a big part of that um, because he is the the sort of safety blanket there. And they they don't have with Nakua out and some they have been unable to really incorporate young wide receivers. Um, and with the injuries at running back, I mean, they're just they're not a team that puts up a lot of big plays. But Boise State, they struggle to get teams off the field if they don't. Um, they limit you on yards per play. So in that some ways, this Washington team sort of like is sort of like a mirror image on offense of this Boise defense because Boise's pretty good at play efficiency, number 20 there. But they're 100 in the country in defensive drive efficiency. Um, so you can put together drives on this Boise defense. The one thing to watch out for on this side of the ball uh, is a guy by the name of uh, Curtis Weaver <laughs> yeah. for for Boise State. He's just been a monster this this season. He's has he's got eighteen and a half tackles for a loss, thirteen and a half sacks. Um, you know he is a just and they Boise. If you've watched any Boise this season, um, they line him up. Um, he's just you know they, he's in their stud position. They line him up and, and, and rush him from all different angles. Um, but Adams being out is going to force him shuffling around there. So. If Boise can, um, I mean, Washington is going to put themselves in positions and, and their drive efficiency here tells you they're going to put themselves in a position with some third downs. Um, and, can and they haven't Boise been stay? good at that. That's the thing, too, where it's their drive efficiency, like as long as they're not on third down, <laughs> they've been pretty yeah. solid. But on third downs, Washington has been actually pretty terrible throughout this whole year, although the, the offense itself has been able to move um, like on yeah. the first down and second down situation. Yeah, and they've got a. I mean, they've got a decent. I mean, they have a decent special teams advantage of this game, twenty eight versus sixty one. So that's going to help. What's really going to set up this Washington offense for success, though, is the, when you flip to the other side of the ball. Yeah. Um, because that's where Washington's defense has really come on towards the end of the season, while their offense has fallen off. They're up to number nine in beta rank. Um, Boise's at forty four. This is going to be far, far and away the toughest defense that Boise State has faced. You know, and they're, Boise State's got a pretty efficient offense. They're number 22 in drive efficiency. They're only at 67 in explosive drives, but they're going to have to put together. I mean, Washington, by design, with two, you know, they often play a too high safety look. They, they, Washington is not going to give up big plays. They want to make you try to drive the length of the field. Boise State's going to have to. Um, and that's going to be tough for them, I think, in this game. And they, they lost their offensive coordinator. Mike, I mean, Boise State usually just promotes somebody in-house, but um, we'll see how that goes here. I I, I mean, they're that sort of like it's with Hunter Bryant not playing and Trey Adams not playing, you'd say like, oh, well, you know, knock, you know, maybe two points off where you have the Huskies. But Boise State not having their offensive coordinator going up against this Husky defense, like that may 
you know, wash that all out. Yeah, and then you add the fact on the ground attack where Boise State isn't great at defending the run, but Washington isn't very yeah. good at running. It just strikes me as this being a game where, like, uh, in the World Cup, like, the I think it was two World Cups ago, it was the, it was, they called it Tiki Taka, where the Spaniards just pass the ball around in little tiny passes over and over and over and over again. And I feel like that's going to be this game where uh, Washington isn't going to give up big plays and Boise State isn't going to give up big plays. And we're just going to see like these long methodical drives down the field. I don't know. What do you think, Max? I, I actually, I think that this is going to be a low scoring game as well. I just, I, I want to look at the total quickly before saying anything, but Oh yeah. Wow. So yeah, Vegas has it uh 49 and a half. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely lower, on the lower side for bowls. Um, I, yeah, Eason is just Eason and that team. Like, I just think that the, I think Washington is really taking on Eason's personality. Well, not personality, but I guess style of play, and that they're a very Jekyll and Hyde team. But I still think this is a young Washington team that will be looking to make a statement heading into next season, especially Jimmy Lake. I mean, this it, it is Chris Peterson's farewell, but it's also all eyes are going to be on Jimmy Lake just to see his first game after the news and i think you're going to see a really fired up washington defense that loves jimmy lake and loves playing for him and i think that they're going to want to send the right message so i I think i think boise is going to have a lot of trouble scoring in this game uh just because again uh, this is the best defense that they've faced so far this season and i think washington does have a lot of uh, young and, and intriguing talent on the defensive end it's just whether washington can put up enough points on the offensive end that's what i'm more concerned about uh, from the Washington point of view. Yeah, I'm totally with you because you had just mentioned like, yeah, Washington is going to basically bring the lumber against Boise State. What do they, I mean, if they score 30 points, I'd be really surprised. And when you have such a low point spread, I almost want to just take those points because without Hunter Bryant and without Trey Adams and you have, you know, like a, a decent front seven for Boise, I mean, I would assume they might be able to get a little bit to Eason and he doesn't have that security blanket. I'm going to take the three and a half. Like, I'm not betting this game. I'm just going to watch it. But um, for the sake of the podcast, I'll, I'll take the points at such a low spread. What do you think, Max? It's tough because I I know I think the number is inflated, but I just think that Washington is also and the number is inflated because of the spot, just because because of people thinking that this is Chris Peterson's final game. So obviously Washington's going to have a happy ending. But I still think that Washington is underrated. I think that they are better than their seven and five record. And I think that. This is the toughest team that Boise will have faced so far this season, and I'm going to side with the I'm going to side with Beta Rank here. Um, I think that Washington wins this one by a touchdown. Okay, okay. And then Rob, I think Beta Rank had it at seven point two. Was that what the spread was? Yeah, seven point two. Okay. Um, anything else to talk about on the Vegas Bowl? And, and by the way, we'll be previewing all these Pac-12 uh, bowls. We'll keep recording weekly. Um, I think there's enough content, not only with the off-season moves and the bowls, but want to dip our toe into college basketball as well. But anything else we should cover in regards to this particular game? Uh, I don't think so. But yeah, good luck gambling it, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get into We've been teasing this, and I've been saying we were, we were going to do this for the last three weeks and basically we went long every single time uh, but we were going to do a family feud uh, portion where i'm going to um, basically throw out to uh, max and rob some of the stats we want to be able to celebrate some of the performances on an individual level at, at the pac-12 and so hold on one second here 
Yeah. So here's how this is going to work. So I'm going to uh, go through and pick out some statistics. And Rob and Max, you need to come together and give me the top five in each category. And we'll start off easy. We're actually going to go with total yards uh, thrown by Pac-12 quarterbacks. If you can give me the top five collectively, we get to move on to the next one. All right. So do we do we, do Rob and I just alternate and then we get and then we get X if we say something wrong? Uh, oh, shoot. I haven't I haven't played this game in so long. Yeah. Well, you know, sure. All right. <laughs> well, I'll go. I'll go for the top spot. I'll go Anthony Gordon. That's right. Five thousand two hundred twenty eight yards from Anthony Gordon for the Washington State offense this year. You're up, Rob. Uh, Slovis. Give me Keaton Slovis. Number three, Keaton Slovis, 3,242 yards in, I think it was eight games this year. So a uh, heck of a run for him a freshman year and obviously was the uh, freshman player of the year uh, for, and rightly so, and on the all pack 12 team. All right, you're up, Max. Ooh, this is, um, I'll go, I'll go Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason coming in at number five, 2,922 yards for Washington. And uh, whew, he beat out Steven Montez by 112 yards. So we have the number two slot in the number four slot. You're up, Rob. Uh, shoot, why am I so tired? Uh, Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley, number four, 2,966 yards. And back to you, Max. This would be our number two spot. Uh, Justin Herbert. You guys, we're, we are good. I'm going to put myself in the we there. <laughs> 3,333 yards for Justin Herbert. And, um, and you know, some of those boosted, of course, with for he and Huntley with that extra game. But still, a pretty good year for him. 32 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, all right, let's go to let's go to running backs here. Let's do total yards for our running backs in the Pac-12. We're looking for the top five. And let's start with you first, Rob. We'll alternate here. Oh, so, just, so this is rushing and receiving yards. Oh, I'm sorry. I said total yards, just, just rushing. rushing yards. Yeah, just rushing. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, you know, Benjamin, just because I know he got fed the ball. And uh, I don't know that anyone had a great year in the Pac-12 running the ball this year. Yeah, it was super weird. I mean, we've had really great running backs in the conference for probably the last five years. And this the definitely now we had good running backs in the conference this year, but certainly not the numbers that we're used to. You know, Benjamin, you are right. Comes in at number four, 1,083 yards and 10 touchdowns. Up to you, Max. All right. I don't know if he's in the top spot just because he missed the game, but I still think he is. I'm going to go Zach Moss. Zach Moss, number oh, one, 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns. And it kind of speaks to his ability to actually just continue to be awesome where he had a 1,300 yard and 15 touchdown year. And we're like, yeah, maybe Zach Moss. I don't know. That's <laughs> it's pretty good for him. All right. Over to you, Rob. Oh, gosh. Um, Verdell at Oregon. C.J. Verdell, number five, one eleven hundred seventy yards. Get my teeth. <laughs> uh, Average six point five yards a carry, though, which was top in the Pac-12 for people that outside of Max Borgie <laughs> that had like re- like legit yards and eight touchdowns. So we have Eno Bench. So we're we're looking for the number two and the number three slots here, Max. Oh man, I feel I'm gonna take a guess here. I'm I'm, I'm deciding between two. Okay, I'm gonna. I can't even believe I'm saying this. Cam Scarlett. Matt. Cam Scarlett, oh. number nine. 840 yards and seven touchdowns. That's that's just insane 
for oh. for a Stanford team. Uh, all right, over to you, Rob. Uh, Williams at Cal? No, Williams at Cal no. is way down there. Hold on here. Are you off the board? My goodness. Um, Who even? <laughs> I can't even see him on here. I, I was like, I mean, Cal couldn't throw the ball. I mean, I figured they had, like, they like when, when their offense worked, they ran the ball pretty well with them. I figured they had to have fed him. Shoot. <laughs> All right, up to you, Max. You got, we have one more X before we, uh, uh, before okay. I, I throw you out of the plane. All right, this is the other one I was going to guess, Artavis Pierce. No, Artavis Pierce. Wow. Number eight, 873 yards, six touchdowns. The correct answers were Joshua Kelly, 16, uh, uh, 1,060 yards and 12 touchdowns, and Savon Ahmed, who had 1,000 even yards and nine touchdowns. All right, let's move Quite over. thousand campaign ever <laughs> yeah i was curious like uh, max borgie probably had the most yards total um but oh, he was he was down there in terms of rushing let's go total receiving yards here we'll start with uh looking at the top five let's go to you first max uh michael pittman michael pittman 1222 yards 11 touchdowns average 13 yards a catch he was number one over to you here rob uh hodgins Isaiah Hodgins, number three, which was surprising for me, 86 receptions, 1,171 yards, and 13 touchdowns. He led the conference in receiving touchdowns this year. Over to you, Max. Brandon Ayuk. Number two, 1,192 yards, averaged 18.34 yards per catch, led the conference on that front, eight total touchdowns. We're looking at the last two, and I'm not sure if you guys are going to get these. Over to you here, Rob. Oh man. Um uh, Winston at Washington State. You got it. Number five, Aesop Winston, nine hundred and twenty seven yards, eleven total touchdowns. Looking for the number four spot, Max. Hmm. Oh, this is tough. You know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna guess and it's wrong. But Max Borgie. Max Borgie is not on. Uh, he might not be on the board here in the top fifteen, but really? I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Let's let's think along those lines no, no, up no, in no. the. <laughs> no hints. <laughs> all right, all right. Go. Uh, you're up. You're up. Uh oh, shoot. That means it's like thinking along those lines. It's another Coug. Um, probably. I mean, Gordon threw for all the yards this year. Uh. But it's gonna. Be, it's like the one that I don't remember his name. Not. Um, <laughs> Are you thinking of Arcanado? Is that it? Brandon that who- Arcanado, nine hundred forty-two yards, fourteen yards yes. per catch, six total touchdowns. Yeah, I was like, hey, good for you guys for even remembering his name. He's that guy that you see every game. You're like, oh, I forgot about that guy, <laughs> but ended up yeah. <laughs> number four in the conference, which is crazy town. Um, all right, let's let's move over to the defensive side and give our friends some love here. Let's do tackles for a loss. If you can get the top five, this is going to be a little bit tougher. Let's see how how good we are on this front. Let's start with you, Rob. I mean, Rashid at Oregon State. Hamilcar Rashid, 22 tackles for a loss for Oregon State. Had himself a heck of a year. Over to you, Max. I, hmm. I'm just going to say, I mean, I don't know what his tackles for losses, but just because he has a substantial lead on everyone else in tackles, I'll go Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver was number eight, 11 tackles for a loss for Cal. Mm. Over to you, Rob. 
Uh, an A. Bradley and A. Bradley and A, number three, 13 and a half tackles for the Utah Utes. We're looking for the number two, number four, and number five tackles for a loss, Max. Mm. I'll go Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson, number six, coming in at 11 and a half, and he was tied with Casey Tuhill. So Sorry to, to bring down the team, Rob. um joe tryon joe tryon number five good one rob i totally forgot about him yeah 12 and a half tackles for a long late like i just remember watching some washington games late being like my god where was he early in the season i thought he was i thought nobody was gonna get that one so right on um number two and number four over to you max oh um, okay, this guess is, might be because I'm a prisoner of the moment in the Pac-12 championship, but I'll go uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. There you go, Kayvon Thibodeau, number two, 14 tackles for a loss as a true freshman in Eugene. And finally, Hithliday is breathing a sigh of relief. Uh, over to you, Rob. Last one, number four. Uh, like I think everyone in the conference is ready for him to go pro, like, already. Yeah, he's so nasty. <laughs> wow, what a year. Oh, my gosh. Um... Shoot, it's going to be – I can't – I'm literally drawing an entire blank on who else it could even be in the conference. Um, I was about to say, I have a guess, but I think he missed too many games or else – It's not I, Nate Landeman, is it? I was Yeah, I was thinking Mustafa Johnson. Oh. Neither of those were in the top okay. ten. You want one more shot at it? This one's pretty tough. No. No, put us out of our misery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cameron Good over at Cal. 13 tackles for a loss. Had a oh. sneaky, quiet year over on that front. All right, let's do a few more here. Let's go interceptions. Um, Well. Let's not. Let's do not. Let's not do interceptions. <laughs> it's like 17 people tied before. Let's do total tackles. That, that'll be. And, and this includes shared tackles just for the S's and G's here. Um, let's go top five. I think I'm looking at this list and. It's it's right about what what you would think it was. There's a couple people that I don't think we'll get, but they're not in the top five here. Let's start with you here, Rob. Uh, Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver, 173 tackles in the back 12. Holy Moses, what a year! All right, over to you, Max. Uh, Nate Landeman. Nate Landeman, number three, 114 tackles. Good guess. Where we need the number two, number four, number five, Rob. Um. Merlin Robinson. Merlin Robinson was not on the list, which is surprising. Whoa. I know. I'm actually taking going way down into the where is he? Is it a, was he like injured and I did not watch enough ASU football? I'm yeah. assuming that was the case, yeah, because he's not in the top like twenty. Uh Merlin Robinson, sixty four tackles. Yeah, that's that's a pretty yeah. quiet year. All right, over to you, Max. Uh Casey Tudell. Yeah. No. <laughs> Two Hill not on the list either. Oh my goodness. Not wow. in the top twenty. What? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh shoot. Like on some of these yeah, like I, I also have to think like who had a bad defense where somebody just cleaned up a bunch of tackles? Um That would be the Colorado Buffalo, and we already got that one, Rob. <laughs> shoot. <laughs> The other Arizona linebacker, not Collins Cooler. 
Tony Fields, number seven. Tony Fields. 94 oh. tackles. Colin Schooler, number six, with 98 tackles. The final three players have more than 100 tackles. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, we're, we're missing an obvious one. We're missing Troy Dye. Troy Dye, not on the list. Number 15 with 75 tackles. This is crazy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? Fan tackles as a stat. <laughs> <laughs> you, want, you want the last three? Sure. Number two, Jihad Woods, 121 tackles for Washington State. Number four, Cooney Ding, number uh, 111 tackles. That's crazy. That between him and Evan Weaver, they had more than 250 tackles between them. And number five, USC's own John Houston Jr. with 100 tackles. Gentlemen, thank you for playing the Family Feud. Um, Damn, we're not, we're not playing most field goals. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Gotta go and do a deep dive there. Um, hey, let's talk a little bit of college basketball right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back and we've been talking football all year, but it's time to give the basketball a little bit of love here. I had some big games this last week. UCLA played Notre Dame. Oregon played... uh, Went to went to Michigan, came back with a W, and Arizona looked like they played a close game against Gonzaga. That was not the case. They got waxed at home by Mark Few's squad. And, and Max, let's start with you. What are your general impressions of basketball here uh, as we move into the depths of the non-conference schedule? Um, Pac-12 has definitely improved from last season and two seasons ago. There's they have some. I mean, there are some good teams in the Pac-12 this year, but. I think there's only one title contender, and it's Oregon. I'm really, really impressed with Oregon. Uh, Their only two losses were back-to-back games. One was an overtime loss to Gonzaga, and the other one was when they were clearly uh, tired and depleted against North Carolina. And the North Carolina loss is actually going to look even worse because North Carolina just lost to Wofford today to fall to 6-4. and (laughs) But Oregon, Peyton Pritchard is – Easily one of the most trustworthy point guards in the country. I love the shoot the uh, added shooting that they have with Mathis and Duarte, and they've been doing this all without uh, their five star big man freshman Nafali Dante and Shakur, Shakur Justin's also uh, been injured. But I just think that Oregon they finally have a talented roster, and I really think that Pritchard can be the guy in March. And I will always trust Dana Altman on the court. I'm so used to Oregon having like Boucher and who's that other guy with the two last names that was able just to swat everything out of everywhere. And they don't have that. They, they have that one big player that doesn't quite have the hands or the feet, um, but he's he's a big presence down on the inside. But with all that said, was that? Okoro. Yeah, that guy's huge um, and certainly is a presence down low, but he's not that like rangy. He's going to swat everything. Um, but with that yeah, said, Max, I <laughs> He got hit. He got hit by a car and didn't miss a game. How fast was it going though? That that was the key. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. 
But yeah, no, definitely not the Boucher, Jordan Bell, SWAT types. And I, and I don't think Dante's like that either. But I just think to have bigger bodies down low will really help this Oregon team in March. But also, I mean, with Dana Altman's matchup zones, I mean, there teams, you're going to have to knock down outside shots to beat this Oregon team. You're not going to get really a lot of easy looks inside. And, I, and Altman, I think, is fine letting a lot of shots go down on the perimeter. The thing that makes me really nervous if I'm a Pac-12 fan that isn't Oregon is that uh, this is this is still a team that Almond's putting together. He has some players that, that were from transfers and he had some good you know, freshmen that are coming in. And even with that, he's just been tearing it up. And it's been on the back of Peyton Pritchard. I mean, he's had himself a heck of a year already. 19 points per game, more than six assists. Um, his turnovers, he got to cut down a little bit. He has three turnovers a game. But um, the fact that Oregon's been this good and... I, I'm a huge Altman fan because he almost always in the second half of this se- every season, he's going to put that team together and really mold it in his image. And that's really extra scary if you're looking at uh, at playing them at home or on the road if you're in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, I was really nervous about this Oregon team to start because usually Dana Altman teams struggle early on in the season when all the new pieces have to gel just because – Playing under his schemes, they're not easy, and it definitely takes time to learn. And now that they're already like beat, they have a really impressive resume uh, thus far. Arguably, I mean, beside like them and maybe I'm just trying to think of who else. I mean, well, Gonzaga has the three Pac-12 wins. Oregon, honestly, Oregon or well, I was going to say Michigan too, but Michigan just lost at home to Oregon, so Oregon conceivably might have the best resume in the country. That's crazy. And it's great for the conference to have that premiere. You know, they made it to the Sweet 16 last year. They gave Virginia a push. But at the end of the day, we didn't have that like premiere program. And it would be great for Oregon to be. And, and the Oregon had to win the, the freaking Pac-12 championship just to get to the uh, just to get to the tournament. So, um, yeah, definitely they, a whole they new world. They a miraculous comeback against Arizona State in the semis just to make it to the tournament. <laughs> That's so nuts. Um, Rob, I, I have a question for you. I, I don't know if you've looked at the standings. But if you haven't, who who sits at the top of the standings right now in terms of win totals? Can you guess? Is it is it Arizona? It's not Arizona ten and two. Well, I guess I, I guess it's wins and losses. Oh, wins and losses. Is it Stanford? It's Stanford nine and one, followed by Oregon State of all of all teams. And I was really hesitant on Stanford Max when we were talking, you know, Pac twelve, and I was kind of thinking about how to lead into this, but. At the end of the day, I mean, Haas has that program, or at least this team going. I'm curious to see what you think about them. Well, the big difference for Stanford this year is that they have uh, a true freshman point guard, Tyrell Terry, who's been incredible so far. And I, I guess the impact of that's twofold. So one, Terry is, and he's a really, really strong shooter. He has great range, and he's also a, a really nice distributor. And so besides him being a plus there, it also moves Dejon Davis off the ball. And Davis has had his moments, but he's also been really turnover prone as a point guard. And so I just think having someone who isn't a walking turnover point guard definitely helps out the offense's efficiency. And then on the defensive end, Stanford, they, Stanford under Hayes has had um, a better defense overall than offense. And this year it's just taken another step forward. So I've been really impressed with Stanford so far. They're definitely my surprise at the conference. And even their one loss, which was a one-point loss to Butler, 
that's a really impressive loss just because Butler has been a really impressive team. And besides losing to Baylor by one point, that was the other game where Butler was challenged and, and they've rolled against some good teams this year. So I think I think Stanford is for real, to be honest. Mm. Well, that's good. I mean, it's, it's nice to have that middle class in the Pac-12 as well when we get into conference play. One of the problems that's been usually like Arizona and Oregon and one other team and then everybody else sucks. And it's nice to be able to have some real challenges when we go on the road. It'll be good for Ken Palm and all the numbers and all that stuff. Rob, what stood out for you most when you're looking at Pac-12 basketball? I mean, I think as you guys hit on that, there's actually a chance that the conference has, you know, five or six teams, you know, make the NCAA tournament this year. Um, And that's impressive, um, given where we've been (laughs) of late, which is, you know, sometimes being a two, two, three team, you know, bid league, Um, you know, that there's there you have the Colorado's of the world out there and Stanford stepping forward. Washington's still a very good team, you know, pretty good team. Oregon State, you know, is there and then. Arizona State and U. I mean USC's got a lot of talent, you know, and they're a team that I think could sort of gel. I don't know, although none of Enfield's teams ever seem to gel, um, despite all the talent he has on there. So there's there's definitely some teams there that could do some things. I'm a little surprised, I guess you could say that UCLA stinks as much as they do. Not because I don't think that they have. I don't think they have a bunch of great players, but I do think that Cronin's a good coach. And the fact that they're so, so bad on defense in Ken Palm right now is um, just amazing because Cronin is a good defensive coach. Uh, they're at 172. <laughs> Ken Palm's adjusted defense right now. I mean, they, they're just, there's not buy-in. They're not getting it. It's not working. The, and that was kind of, I think that was assumed as he came in. I mean, you were getting all of Steve Alford's recruits who were just like, I want to score a lot of points. And McCrone is like, no one will score points. There will be no fun on this team. And it's been really fun to watch the beat writers for UCLA just go, oh, no, like, it seems like we don't know how to score on this team. And I just assumed that that was a given if you were covering UCLA basketball. But what do you think about McCrone and that hire over there at UCLA, Max? Definitely a risk for UCLA just because the fan base – was I, I just feel really disenchanted with Ben Howland's style of play, even though they made it to multiple Final Fours. And Cronin is definitely not the flashy type of coach. And then also uh, UCLA was not happy with Steve Alford's performance in March. And Mick Cronin has also greatly underachieved in March. So, And, and he definitely doesn't... Uh, rub me as like the guy that is gonna I, I guess like be a magnet to boosters as well so I just thought it was kind of a weird fit uh he does have a nice pedigree though at least in the regular season and it's going to be interesting to see if this experiment works but yeah UCLA they've looked like a slog early on and de- um I would say that, like I think that they've been really disappointing um Colorado is also another team where I don't think that they they are where I thought they would be uh, so far this season. Uh, USC's inconsistent still, but that's kind of a given under Enfield. Those three probably would would be the ones that I'm most disappointed with so far. 
Colorado's interesting. They got wins over Clemson, wins over ASU. Uh, they went to Kansas and kind of got waxed at, at the fog and then came back home to drop a game at home to University of Northern Iowa, which was, you know, it's probably one of those hangover games. And I understand that's going to happen every once in a while. But yeah, definitely a team to look out for because that's the team that the, the AP and the, you know, the coaches are given some love in terms of the attention. They're still number 24 and the other uh, ranked team in the Pac 12. Oh, one thing we should mention about McCronin that that is really fun to know is that he and Sean Miller like really don't like each other at all. <laughs> and I'm excited to see that bubble up over time uh, because Sean Miller is uh, is known to to uh, let people know how he feels in press conferences. And Mick Cronin will tell you to your face on the court. So um, I am looking forward to those UCLA Arizona games as uh, the season progresses. But um, Rob, I guess we should talk about Washington. Washington has been pretty good. They got some really solid players and it looks like Hopkins has that program point in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, they're still, I mean, they're no offensive juggernaut. They're at 98 and Ken Palm and 20. I mean, they, they, they still play good defense. And I think that, is, is something that they're going to be able to hang their hat on, um, you know, with Hopkins. And they've got some, they had a decent recruiting class again with Hopkins this year with some younger guys coming in. They, I mean, they again have a shot if they can start to figure some things out offensively as the season goes on and they can still sort of hold steady on defense to, to put it together. I, I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're a team that could, they could foreseeably go on a, a little bit of a run depending on what they figure out on offense. But I don't know, like I will also say that last season that I was not convinced that Hopkins was ever going to figure out much on offense um, with that Washington squad. We'll see if, if it was, you know, more coaching or more of the talent he had available. Well, they had Matisse Thibel up on that zone. I mean, it was just unfair and I was really yeah. excited to watch them in the tournament and didn't quite work out as well as I wanted it to, but it was really fun to watch him play I guess another team to, to keep a lookout for eight and two Arizona state with uh, now they lost their game in like New Zealand or wherever the hell it was to Colorado at the beginning of the year. Um, I call China game. Oh, we're, yeah. huge. we're huge. This podcast is huge in China, by the way, just huge uh, bursting at the seams in China. <laughs> we're probably banned in China. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's very true. Uh, wins over St. John's. Uh, took University of Virginia to the wire. They lost 48 to 45. They beat Princeton. They beat San Francisco. You know, some of these are decent wins. Georgia isn't great, but they beat them by like 40 points. Really, the games to look out for is they got a big matchup against St. Mary's and then they're uh, against Creighton as well uh, in this coming week. I don't know, Max, what do you think about the Sun Devils? Um, I think Arizona State's probably going to be another middle. It'll be like another mid-tier performance uh, for them. I think the interesting thing so far with the Sun Devils is that normally you think of a Bobby Hurley team as as offense first, but this year it's been the it's been the opposite. It's been the defense that's been leading the charge, and they've had to battle some injuries. But there aren't too many players in the conference I would take over Remy Martin. He's absolutely electric when he's on, and I think yeah. In the um, even though they lost to Virginia. Martin was he he was actually really good against Virginia. And I think only besides like Anthony Lamb or maybe one of the Purdue shooters, like he had one of the better uh, performances against a Virginia team that has the number one ranked defense uh, in the country. And I think the, the other interesting thing with Washington is that I think it's encouraging that Mike Hopkins has shown that he's willing to adapt just because the Huskies have been playing some man this year. Mm, yeah, let's change it up. That's one of the things I like about uh, 
you know, the coaches that can change up their defense just to throw you off for a little bit like that is so key. The coaches that drive me nuts are the ones that stay with the same uh, defense over and over again. And speaking of the Arizona Wildcats are <laughs> uh, just lost a game to Gonzaga, which look, Gonzaga is really, really good. And um, and Arizona was fairly competitive. It was a really exciting first half game when they went back and forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, the talent prevailed. And even with uh, uh, Tinney out, I uh, forget the guy's name, uh, Tillian Kinney, Killian Tinney. Whatever. Uh, even with, Killian Tilly. Yeah, Killian Tilly. Thank you very much. Um, uh, even with him out, they were still able to get it done down low on the boards. But, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the teams that has the highest ceiling and uh, an okay floor is Arizona. They don't play defense the way that Miller wants them to. But you have Nico Mannion and Zeke Naji and, uh, and uh, Green and, and a number of players on that team that can at least – uh, I, I think if they can get the defense down, this could be a team that can make a pretty decent run in March, Rob. Yeah, I mean, the question I would have, and I mean, you and I have had this conversation many times, is, I mean, Sean Miller hasn't coached a very good, de- a very, very good defense in about four years, which is used to be his calling card. They're, they're, they're an interesting team. Like, they, their losses, they just, they couldn't hit shots um, in their losses against good teams. And that, that's something they may be able to figure out as the season goes on. Um, they may be able to to ratchet it down um, defensively a bit, but yeah, they're they're definitely young enough that you could see them sort of putting it together more as the season goes on. But I don't know. I I guess like if 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 you had asked if it was if this team was the, like take this team and put it like right after those elite eight runs that you know Miller had and those guys graduating, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like this team's going to figure it out on defense because all Sean Miller teams figure it out on defense, but. I, it's a bit of an open question mark uh, for me whether they are able to figure it out defensively. Yeah, they went to Baylor, lost 63-58, to 58, and like you mentioned, hadn't shot well. But it seems like Arizona doesn't shoot well in a lot of the games that it loses. And I mean, that's always the case, right? If you don't make shots, you don't win the games. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it just seems like this team is, is a lot more fun to watch than previous yeah. Pac-12 Arizona teams that tend to... You know, slowly dribble over the court, stop, look at Sean Miller, look at what play he's calling. This is more of a fun and gun type of offense, which is exciting. But Max, I'm curious what you think about Arizona, because uh, they certainly have a lot of the star power and name recognition as we move into conference play. So I think the with Arizona, there are two losses, as you said, are Baylor and Gonzaga, and those came by a combined nine points. But I think that those scores were misleading just because Baylor and Gonzaga were both up by double digits uh, pretty late in the game. And then Arizona went on a furious run to try and come back and came up short. But Baylor and Gonzaga, I mean, those are two, I think, teams that that are easily elite eight good. And I still felt that Arizona was the inferior team in both of those games. And then even before the Baylor game, uh, I forgot what, what the tournament was that Arizona was in. But none of the three games that they played against Pepperdine, uh, Penn, and Wake Forest, those were all pretty close games, too. And and that was against competition that is borderline NCAA tournament and probably more likely NIT uh, tournament teams. So granted, I mean, Arizona is a young team, and so they they definitely have a long way to go. But I I, I don't view Arizona as the same tier as Oregon. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm totally with you on this front. Like, I, you know, being, if they get their defense down, then I would put them in the same, but they are 
very, very far from that right now. Um, but we'll, we'll see. There's plenty of time left. And again, this is a young team as well. So it'd be interesting to see how much they grow on that front. And we'll, we'll be more specific as we dip into college basketball season, but it's still football season as far as we're concerned. And we'll make sure to continue focusing on football and then bringing some basketball stuff into the mix as we go along. And, uh, and Max, what do you got going over at Sports Illustrated? So definitely, um, it's almost the end of football season. So it's bittersweet. So I, my, my work schedule is going down uh, a bit, which is, I guess, kind of an, it's nice to breathe once. Um, <laughs> and I would say, I mean, the, I'd say the content that I'm most excited about right now is having three man weave, uh, help us out with our college basketball picks. I, I just think that they're the best of the best. And just talking college basketball with them uh, is always a blast. And they've definitely shaped the way um, that I've been betting on the sport. So I would definitely look out for their picks. Uh, we still have NFL weekly picks. Uh, we'll be doing the uh, college football bowl picks. I think, I think I'm think i at like 53% for our college football ATS picks. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to do best bets for bowls. I, I think, especially with all the, uh, the players that are sitting out this year and, and, and it's always really tough to gauge motivation. I just think that betting on bowl games, it, a lot of it is a crapshoot. So, um, I mean, I'll still be betting on them, but definitely, um, I probably won't be having that many big plays on, on the bowl games this year. Yeah. I totally feel you on that front. It's just like. Gosh, and the best is when they don't tell you until like the day of. You're like, oh man, I I got to put the money on that. Um, Rob, even though even though these bowl games are crapshoots, we're still putting them up on SharpCollegeVille.com where you can compare all of the teams. And what do we got going on that site? Yeah, I mean at Sharp College Football, you can go on and uh, compare any two bowl teams. Um, if you want to preview any of the potential title game matchups for the playoff, there those are available there as well. Um, we're gonna do write ups for all the Pac-12 bowl games, and I'm gonna do a brief try to do a brief write up. We'll see if I can do it all for every bowl game. If not, I will just at the very least post out some numbers for it. Um, and then, yeah, we're putting together a conference for looks like early June in Cincinnati for uh, you know. Nerd, nerds and football and so, nerd prom <laughs> i'll have uh, i'll have some more details out on on that uh hopefully this week yeah and i i'm posting something on sharpcollegefootball.com it's my write-up for the washington game and usually i try to put a little bit of quirkiness into it but um this one was more just down the line but it was also like two page. i mean it was it was a pretty substantial breakdown of of washington and how they match up and using the numbers and stuff so um if you're looking for something that's like really detailed and focused that, that definitely check that out. That'll be up in a few days and guys, thank you for, for joining us and we'll catch everybody next week.